0: Go. Oh, let me introduce myself. Um I am Master William Shakespeare. Okay, so you'll help me, yes?
1: yes. Okay, brilliant, yes my Joe's pancreas, that is fantastic! For the first time in months I am officially he in the flower.
2: yeah! Shakespeare goes viral is a podcast inspired by Will & Co's project Bard in the Yard. Learn more about Shakespeare's life, writings, and key themes that inspired him. Listen to writer and director Victoria Gartner tell you a story like no other.
3: I'm Henry, I'm an actor and writer based in London. And I actually graduated from my full like three year drama training in 2020, like right in the middle of the pandemic, which was kind of heartbreaking and horrible and and all these horrible things. But it meant that Barden Yard was my first ever job, which like, I can't imagine a first job that could have been more like like crazy and fun and rewarding for all these different reasons. So I'm kind of, I'm definitely grateful for that. Um, and, but like the one story, which, which really stuck with me from my time Barding was, was one of my first shows, actually, um, it was somewhere outside of Stoke-on-Trent, I think. And it was like this big house, this big family, and, uh, that obviously got together with whatever the maximum number of people you could meet outside with at that time was. They had like these friends and family. They'd clearly like not seen each other for so long and they've had they made it this like big thing. Um, like it was food everywhere and it was just really cool to be able to like bring a bit of theater to them. Um, and anyway, so so um, <laughs> so I'm halfway through like the show, I'm in one of my like favorite speeches from Richard Second, and it starts to rain and I'm thinking like oh man uh, well, what what am I supposed to do but I kind of I'm right in the middle of the speech so it's like well at least at least I'll get to the end and kind of by the end of the speech it's like really raining and I can start to see them like looking around looking at each other being like what should we do and i was kind of like okay now I have to say something and I've I've said like oh do you guys want to like relocate or something And like one of the younger couples that was there, they were actually like, oh, actually we were supposed to have our wedding here like in the summer, but obviously that didn't happen. Um, But we have all these like umbrellas kicking around because they were going to be there for the wedding and we can just use them. And everyone said, yeah, sure, we'll do that. And like, so there we were, we all put up these little wedding umbrellas and we just uh, carried on the show. And it it was kind of, I don't know like I'm sure there's a metaphor in there somewhere about, about people just carrying on and, and making the best of the situation because obviously, obviously no one wanted to be in that pandemic and like they were supposed to have had their wedding but they didn't and I was supposed to have, I don't know, graduated not in, I don't know. But there we were um, all kind of just enjoying this weird kind of unique moment there under the, under the wedding umbrellas doing the rest of the show. Um, and yeah, it was just, it was really, it was really special I thought. I
0: need to write a play and uh, I'm stuck, like, really stuck, like, um, like blank parchment stuck. (laughs) You, You see, in these dark and dreary times of our beloved Britain, the playhouses have obviously been closed by the Master of Rebels. They've only just begun to reopen. We've had a year without them. And so, well, as you know, you're creatives yourselves, we've had to do what we can. Some have gone to the countryside, some have stayed with the king in his palace, the lucky lumpish hugger muggers, <laughs> and um, some of us have had to reside in our homes. So, the reason I've come to you is well, you're the perfect sample of my usual audience, you know. The smelly, pickpockety, raucous rogues of London. And I thought, you know, if you're a fellow creative, you could help me out.
2: Episode one, Shakespeare and the Plague. My name is Victoria
4: and I'm a theatre writer and director who specialises in the lifetimes and works
2: of William Shakespeare. I could ask you the question, why Shakespeare?
4: I think it's a lovely question to start because it's the question that Everybody asks me, and everybody asks it to me with a slight kind of despair sparkling in their eyes, like, why, why Shakespeare, why must you love this? I think it's because people don't necessarily associate passionate Shakespeare people with people who look like me, which is youngish, female, happy. (laughs) person and it's always quite surprising people go oh sh- Shakespeare really but you're not wearing tweed to be honest I love Shakespeare because I still don't get it and it's a bit frustrating don't get me wrong I've been <laughs> I've been studying this and diving into his works for 14 years now and I still don't really get it but I think Shakespeare is because I don't get it because you know all the rumors are true it is universal there's everything in it there's something in it for everybody. It appeals to our common humanity. There's space in Shakespeare for us to reinvent ourselves. Shakespeare gives room for every generation of theatre practitioners, artists, people, creatives to do what they want and say what is important for them to, to say through his beautiful, incredible words. And that's a gift that we rarely have. The power of poetry, really great storylines and kind of ridiculous situations as well, is why I like
1: it. I have a reasonable body of work, if I do say so myself. And nowadays, some mongering threadbare jugglers are thinking that they can nick a couple for their own resumes. They're trying to insinuate that I didn't write my own plays. What bollocks, right? You know what, it's just a first draft and I've got to add... Way more these and thou's, and, you know, I've got to swap a couple of words around to make it sound a bit more fancy, <laughs> a bit more special and a bit, you know,
2: a bit more me. <laughs> it's one thing yeah. to I mean, love fun. Shakespeare, read Shakespeare, go to plays, and there's another to start writing plays about Shakespeare and deciding to direct them in London, of all places.
4: Yes, I think the reason why I did that is because I didn't really stop to think about what I was doing, Um, I think if I had been a bit more down to earth I probably never would have done half of what I've done. The reason I started writing is, I mean I love writing, and I also felt like there were stories to be told around Shakespeare that were more of an introduction to Shakespeare and to Shakespeare's world for people who might not quite want to sit through three hours for who it's too daunting. Somebody tells you, let's go see a Shakespeare play. It's only three hours with 400-year-old words and you mostly won't get anything that's going on, but it will be fun. You might be reluctant. And that's understandable and that's fine. And I was lucky enough to be sat in a Shakespeare play kind of against my will, in a sense that it was, it was mandatory for my studies. I, I went on the Shakespeare trip and I sat there and thanked the stars I did. But a lot of people don't have that opportunity. And so my plays, the work that we're doing with the company, are really kind of a different approach. <laughs> it's not three hours. It's one hour. It's funny. And it's kind of the Shakespeare sandwich so we promise loads of fun but also a nice little dose, a nice little kind of mysterious amuse-bouche if you will as to what Shakespeare has to offer.
1: The real reason why I actually wanted to read you some of my poetry is because well I'm not uh, feeling quite myself recently. Yeah I mean a, a writer with writer's block not any writer, London's most prolific living playwright. Did you just say Ben Johnson?
4: <laughs> Bard in the Yard is a project that emerged through lockdown and it emerged because I was desperate and very angry. <laughs> Those two things combined together led me to want to do something. So it was March, 2020. And that was the very beginning of the first lockdown here in the UK. And it wasn't fun. It was quite a tense, stressful, anxious time. And fortunately, both me and my partner got sick with COVID, or the plague, as we now call it. And we didn't have a great time of it. And by the time I recovered, everybody had sent me those memes of Shakespeare, King Lear and Macbeth and plague quarantine. And I was in bed eating crisps and I was just like, this is not helpful. Thank you. I I can tell you're trying to do something nice here, but please don't because I am very far from wanting to do anything productive because my body is hibernating. People kept sending them to me anyway and I kept on seeing them on the internet and eventually I thought, all right, okay, stored it into a little corner of my head and then things didn't necessarily get easier and... In May, we had moved to the seaside and I was sat down by the beach and I was thinking, all right, I finally moved to the UK. I always wanted to make theatre in the UK. That's why I moved to this country. I'm finally here and I've barely been here for one second. And now you're telling me that the entire industry is at a standstill and that I might never work again. And that's not okay with me. I'm just not accepting that as a fact. So I thought, you know what? People usually go to the theatre. The West End is usually full. There's still a lot of people out there who love the theatre, who would like to go, but they can't come inside a theatre. So why don't we go to them? Everybody has a little front yard, a backyard, a piece of greenery. Everybody's next to a park, next to a public space. So why don't we go outdoors within the rules, within the guidelines and perform a play outdoors? And we found the name Bard in the Yard as a team. And after we had found the name, I realized, oh, but that's actually what it needs to be. It needs to be Shakespeare going to your garden, telling you about his life and about how he faced the plague quarantines because by that time, scholars had started, you know, doing podcasts and interviews and everyone on the BBC was speaking about the plague throughout the ages. And that's when I remembered that, wait a minute, Shakespeare wrote King Lear and Macbeth in plague quarantine? And what if, just like me, in plague quarantine, Shakespeare wasn't particularly inspired or creative? What if he had rather bake some bread and, you know sit on the couch so we started creating the project and we knew we had to act quickly because it was May already we published a call to find some actors and we were absolutely overwhelmed with responses because you know every actor in the UK was jobless at that point so we auditioned about 500 people we were lucky that some of them were in a position that they were able to do this because obviously, you know, you're still going to someone's home. Even if you're in the garden, you're still going to someone's home and that involves a certain level of risk and not everybody was willing to do that and that's absolutely understandable. But we found quite a big team. For a lot of them, almost all of them, I think, it was their first solo show. And it really is a solo show. Bard in a Yard, you get an actor, deliver rude to your garden we're not here the actor goes alone he entertains you and your guests alone and if he forgets a line nobody's there to pick it up for them you know there's no sound there's no music there's your garden and an actor so it was also going back to the roots of this sensation of you know the globe shakespeare's theater is outdoors it's outdoors, it's in the middle of the afternoon, it's popular, it's close to the people, and that in a way felt very important and very lovely and very good. It felt like we were um, going back to the source.
1: Here I am in this ethereal void, and I mean, I mean, why my one lousy, miserable speech, I What What if this is it? What if the muse has decided to quit his job and leave for good? What if, what if I'm washed up? No! No. You say that, but Pip doesn't even want to listen to my 1,194 line poem anymore! (laughs) Who am I if I can't write? I mean, I'm supposed to be the master of creativity. The king of the quill, the top dog, the bee's knees, the bard. Oh, but this plague strikes and look at me. I am a vagabond, a pitiful player who struts and frets his hour upon the stage and then is heard no more. This tale is told by an idiot full of sound and fury but signifying nothing.
2: Shakespeare and the Plague. Oh dear. Tell me how it actually went for him and when it was and what happened and what effect and what impact it had on Shakespeare. I think
4: the first thing that is quite important and and very memorable and probably would have had quite a big impact on Shakespeare is that the plague hit the year he was born. So he was the third child of his parents, but the first to survive kind of past infancy. And Shakespeare gets born April 1564. And very shortly after he gets born, we have an entry line in the chronicles of Stratford-upon-Avon. Here in Kipit Pestis, here begins the plague. It was a really bad year. A third of the population of Stratford-upon-Avon died of the plague. And Shakespeare survived, his family survived, which it's always incredible to think how close the Elizabethans were to death and how we almost didn't have Shakespeare. (laughs) A lot of a lot of his early life, you think, oh my god, we almost he could have switched paths, he could have died, he could have, you know, been stabbed in a tavern brawl like Christopher Mark. Like so many things could have happened to him, but didn't very first the year he was born, big, big, big bout of plague. And even though obviously you're a baby, you know, they didn't really understand how the plague worked. They did all the wrong things as well. They thought that cats brought it, so they killed all the cats, which obviously is very unhelpful when you're trying to get rid of rats that actually bring you the plague. But they didn't know. It always seemed quite kind of a mystical punishment. And that's a big impact. There's lots of plague in Shakespeare's plays. Very famously in Romeo and Juliet. And again, we, we forget because we don't really look at it that way because we've never lived through the plague. But now with COVID, we put things in a completely different perspective. When Romeo and Juliet, when Mercutio, as he's dying, shouts a plague on both your houses, it's very strong. When you step back and think about it for a second, you go, oh, wow oh, yeah, he's really mad. Uh, (laughs) Fair enough. But, yeah, so then you start kind of seeing all of those little references that are sparkled throughout his works very differently. So he grows up, goes to London, becomes a playwright. But during his career, there's two other big bouts of plague, during both of which theatres close. Because, obviously, you can't have a bunch of unwashed people very tightly pressed together in a space when the plague hits. These companies go out of business. They can't even kind of play for the rich people because the rich people are not going to let anybody come into their house or they flee to the countryside. In the first big bout of plague, Shakespeare decides to write some poetry (laughs) because, you know, he needs to diversify. Um, So he writes, I think it's rape of lucrecy. Let me check. But there we go, Venus and Adonis and the Rape of Lucrecy, both. Okay, we're good. Oh, there's a lovely bit in Venus and, oof, there's a lovely bit in Venus and Adonis actually, but I'll find it quicker here, so I'm cheating. It's inspired by one of his favorite authors, which is Ovid. And it's the story of the goddess Venus pursuing this young, beautiful boy called Adonis. And he doesn't want her for some reason, which is like the whole premise of this poem. But also, I don't know, I was reading it and I was like, babes, it's Venus. What are you doing? But all right, fine. And uh, she keeps on trying to seduce him and on using all these beautiful images. And at some point she says, Long may they kiss each other for this cure. Oh, never let their crimson's liveries wear. And as they last, their virtues still endure to drive infection from the dangerous year, that the stargazers, having writ on death, may say, the plague is banished by thy breath." Isn't that beautiful? The plague is banished by thy breath? So Elizabethans believed that clean air was the key to get rid of the plague. So you would open the windows, you would kind of like freshen linen sheets, burn some herbs to have the air smell clean and pure. So the, the plague is banished by thy breath would really mean that the person had the purest breath, which again, at a time where dental hygiene wasn't such a thing, is a big compliment. <laughs> a, you know, only a goddess could kind of... Um, claim that the plague is banished by thy Breath. So he writes big, big poems. He makes money out of them because he gets patrons to pay him for writing beautiful poems. And then the second bout of plague, he writes, apparently, King Lear and Macbeth. Now, just like with a lot of things around Shakespeare, the official answer is we don't know. Venus and Adonis and the Rape of Lucrecy we know because... He published them himself, there's a date on the publishing book, everything's under control, we know what's going on. With the plays, we don't really know when he wrote them. We have a fairly good estimate because there's a lot of diaries of people who actually go and see the plays. So we found entries that say, you know, oh, I saw Julius Caesar, it was great, and Diary entry is dated, so we know that Julius Caesar had been composed at that time. But we don't know the time of writing because you don't publish your plays. It would be a ridiculous thing to do because if you publish your plays, then the company next door can steal them for themselves. There's no copyright. Shakespeare doesn't publish his plays, his company publishes his plays in a book known as the First Folio years after his death. So we don't know. Did he write Kingly and Macbeth in play Quarantine? Probably? <laughs> Maybe? <laughs> we don't know.
1: And the worst thing is just that uncertainty. Because, as you know, if one member of a household is found to have the disease, the entire house and all who inhabit it are locked in by the constables and a red cross is drawn on their door signalling to all that they cannot enter and you can hear the cries of those wretched beings entombed alive in their own houses. You can hear them, you can, you can hear them from the street until one day those cries stop. And that's when you see them. Old, ragged ladies, they enter the premises to search the bodies for signs of life and failing that, signs of wealth a poor tribute for such pitiful work. And amidst these scenes, the physicians, cormorant men with their long Venetian masks, go about their gloomy trades to the sound of the knell, the ever tolling knell ringing for the stacking dead. Alas, poor country, almost afraid to know itself. It cannot be called our mothers, but our graves, Where nothing but who knows nothing is once seen to smile. Where sighs and shrieks and groans that rent the air are made, not marked. Where violent sorrow seems a modern ecstasy. The dead man's knell is there scarce asked for who. And good men's lives expire before the flowers in their hats dying or ere they sicken. The
4: main thing about Shakespeare is that he never invents everything. So for the histories, for example, obviously he takes events from history. So he inspires himself from Holinshed's chronicles mostly, but also other books, and just goes, all right, I'm going to write about King Richard III. The key is also that we have to remember is censorship. In Elizabethan England, if you want to, you know, put on a play, the play has to be approved by the master of the revels. You absolutely can't write about current events because the queen would cut your head off. So you write about the past in a way that references the present. Now, this is a very thin line to thread because if it's not enough, then you lose your audience's interest because they want to, you know, see and hear things that they connect with. But if it's too clear what you're talking about, then your head gets cut off. So, (laughs) for the histories especially, but also for other plays like Macbeth, Macbeth is all about what happens to you if you dare kill a king. If you kill an anointed king, basically, your life will go to hell, and you will go crazy, and your wife will go crazy, and the kingdom will fall into an apocalyptic state, and eventually you'll be deposed and killed. So. It's kind of always resonating with what's going on, but never quite (laughs) hitting it on the head. And equally, a lot of the comedies are about stories that already exist. So Shakespeare inspires himself from other books, mainly Roman mythology, Greek mythology, other types of things. He loves, loves, loves Ovid, which I particularly like because we tend to forget that he was a human being. You mean Shakespeare or Ovid? <laughs> Both! <laughs> we tend to forget Shakespeare was a human being because now, when we say Shakespeare, we have this mental image of a, more of a concept. You know, it's it's big. It doesn't really fit one man anymore. It represents every Shakespeare play ever performed and that's just enormous. And... A lot of people have a hard time accepting the fact that Shakespeare could have been one human being. So there's loads of conspiracy theories and there's loads of, you know, historical theories about who Shakespeare really was. Because he couldn't possibly have been a young man from the countryside. The son of a glover? What? What?
0: I believe that, you know, that theatre can change a person, that it can crack a soul open, wrench it asunder, and make it whole again. I believe in this the common human emotional experience. What makes this time, the plague, so difficult is the lack of contact, of human contact. That's why we Built go to the Playhouse round and called it the Globe. As you can tell, I'm not a very subtle man. <laughs> <laughs> but we wanted to make it clear that's where you belong. That you could come to the Playhouse and see your fellow actor on the stage. And in seeing your fellow man up there, you too, in turn could learn to be better towards your fellow neighbours.
4: Once you start reading all of it, not just the famous ones, you know, read the other ones as well. And you realize, of course, he's a human being. There's various degrees of quality. <laughs> I feel like I'm, I'm, I feel like it's blasphemy, but I'm going to say it. Not all Shakespeare plays are created equal. Some Shakespeare plays are better than others. That's why we do them. Nobody is going around doing Cymbeline every day. The rumour is that, which I think is actually true, that everywhere in the world at this moment in time, there would be a performance of A Midsummer Night's Dream going on somewhere. Not Cymbeline, not King John, not Henry VI Part Three, A Midsummer Night's Dream. And there's a reason for that. It's because it's particularly good. Just for that reason, I think it's very believable that he is one single human being. He also has a way with words. Do you call it style? I think you call it style now. You know, you call it his voice. He has a voice. He's found his, his
2: voice, his style. How would you describe that voice and style? Because, you know, I only hear words I hardly understand when I hear them in English.
4: <laughs> Fair enough. Shakespeare's style is quite understatedly witty. We always say if Shakespeare was alive now, he would write TV shows. He wouldn't write theatre, he would write TV shows because his plays are very popular. They're the pop culture of the time, right? So I think if Shakespeare was alive now, he would
2: have written... Downton Abbey meets The Office.
4: Absolutely that, but with more murder. Okay,
2: Brun meets The Office
4: meets Downton Abbey. But also meets Friends. Sherlock or Killing Eve, because it's... Witty, it's smart, it's quick, but it's it's very popular, is my point. And I think we we forget that because now it is a lot of work, you know. Um we can't we have to face the fact that it is four hundred-year-old words and no other culture goes around, you know, constantly playing something that was written four hundred years ago. But I think the reason why Shakespeare survived despite the 400-year-old stretch and, and gap of time is because he wrote emotions. He was the first to write dialogue that came from the character's emotional state. Instead of explaining what the character is doing or advancing the story, Shakespeare's dialogue is Profoundly theatrical because it's always about the character's emotional state, emotional journey. And in the words are hidden these emotions, this heartbeat, the famous iambic pentameter heartbeat that we still really, really love to play today. I think everybody who likes Shakespeare plays, everybody who likes going to a Shakespeare play, seeing a Shakespeare play, is because ultimately. You can feel this heartbeat that's hidden in the words and something in you that's very primal resonates with that. It's not something you can get anywhere else.
1: <sighs> you see, everybody thinks that all us writers have to do in order to, 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 for the muse to strike is to place our buttocks upon a chair, look outside of a window for a bit, sigh so wistfully, exhale dramatically, and BAM! We're inundated with inspiration It's Smash I Look that. That's not how it works. That's not how it works at all. Do you, do you want to know how I write? Yes. Do, you want, do you want to know how I, Master William Shakespeare, word plopper, an all-round hit machine, write? Yes. Do you want to know? Do you want to know the big secret? Yes. I flabbery work at it! <laughs> I write every single day. I have done for the past 26 years. And, and when the muse fails to strike, which is depressingly often enough, I don't just sit there waiting for her to come. No, 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 I
4: go out. But in the Yard was created to bring some joy, some release to people who had gone through a lockdown, to people who... Everyone was quite tense here. Everyone was scared. Everyone was anxious. Everyone had more or less of a good time. And we wanted to feel connected again. The, the heart of the project came from this deep desire for connection. I played on that writing the show and deciding that, you know, Shakespeare's not inspired, so he needs your help. He needs you because the problem with the lockdown and creativity... Inspiration doesn't just come because you're staring at a blank wall. Inspiration comes from everything else you're doing in your life and that thing you see when you go on your daily walk and this lady with her dog and the sound of the waves and it comes from being immersed in life.
5: My name is Charlie McKellar and I am the executive producer and co-founder of Bard in the Yard. Bard in the Yard has been somewhat of a revelation for me in terms of how we produce theatre, how we how we look at theatre and and how we make it accessible and available for people. I think when we started working on this project it was sort of out of necessity and we thought you know how can we bring theatre in these times when everything's closed, there's no theatres open, everyone has to stay in their homes or keep to maximum of 6 people and it just developed from there and i think we weren't ever expecting it to reach the levels that it did and just over time there was more support we started getting um reviews from the guardian the telegraph you know and all of these big big sort of news outlets and it's just really really made an impact on on how i think the people view theater as well you know, um, we're used to having to travel to London, spend hundreds of pounds, staying overnight, and this has this has brought it home. This has made it accessible to people who who never would have been able to see this sort of show. We've just done some up in North Yorkshire um, and rural locations down south, and I just think it's it's such such an insight into the way that theatre could be if we started thinking about what's really important, which is the audience and, and the actors and the connections that we make. And I think that's a really important thing that I've learned throughout working on Bard in the Yard.
2: Thank you to Alex Dunmore, Constanza Roof, Hannah Young, Henry Sharnock, Honey Gabriel, Jonathan Blakely, Jonathan McGarity, Keith McGuire, Will Harrison-Wallace, Charlie McKellar, and all the other bards. King Leonardo is being performed by Rupert Sadler. The Scottish play is being performed by Luke Ferruccia. This podcast is produced by Will & Co. and La Soiree Verte and supported by the Swiss Cultural Fund, UK. My name is Zelda Chauvet. This is Shakespeare Goes Viral.